Uh, it's fabulous to be with you. I'm Andy, one of the elders here at Trinity. Um, and today I'm going to be continuing our series. Who's been enjoying the Elijah, Elisha series? It's been phenomenal, hasn't it? It's just all about God being a living God, active here, powerful here, wanting to be involved here. But also the, this verse in, in James um, is the kind of core to what we're preaching into. Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and it rained. He was a man who, who knew the living God and knew the authority he had within the living God. Who wants to be like that? I'm going to get you all to put your hands up as many times as possible today. If anyone's got a shoulder injury, let's pray you get healed as you put your arm up. Today we're on to the topic of healing. Now, who knows? Healing is a bit of a mystery. I know healing is a bit of a mystery. Today I wasn't meant to be preaching. John Holt was meant to be preaching. Guess why he's not preaching? Because he's not well. <coughs> See, you have me, I'm afraid. But we're going to be preaching into... The, the topic of God being the healer. He re revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha. It's, he said in the scripture, I am the God who heals. That's what Jehovah Rapha means. I am the God who heals. He reveals himself as the unchanging one. And we read in the scripture how much he healed people and restored people. And I think I said in the email, just read through the gospel of Mark. Just sit down and it's only like 16 chapters. It takes probably an hour to read through it. Just sit down and read through it and note down all the times that the supernatural breaks in. God is the unchanging God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So today, I want us to step into faith, step in with faith, and thank you for the offering. <laughs> you look a bit lost. <laughs> <laughs> And we want to we <laughs> pray for your memory. Um, and we wanted to do something a bit differently today, so we, we've changed it slightly so that we've worshipped, sung worship a little bit less at the beginning because we want to go back into a time of ministry and praying for people at the end and also mixed in with worship. I've heard so many stories of people getting healed just in worship when the expectation is in that place. Okay, so we're going to come out of 2 Kings 5. And I've asked uh, Dapo to, if you could come and read it for us. That would be really helpful. It will be on the screen. But also Dapo is going to read it to us amazingly. The question that I've had as preparing this, so as Dapo reads it through, is who do you think you are? Like, who, who do you think you are? And I think... There's four main characters in this scripture that I pick out through this preach. And I just want you to think about the characters and how they are and how they react to the impossible as Dapo reads this. <coughs> 1 to 14. I'm reading from the ESV version. And I start from verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Because by the Lord, by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one, one, on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel as she walked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, will that, will that my Lord were the prophet 
who is in Samaria. He will cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send the letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he will surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and kill the leper. And not Abana and Fapa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel, could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Amen. Amen. Come on. I think even just reading that kind of story brings faith into me, into the room, into the place where, so there's an impossible situation. And what I want you to think about is how did these four people react to the impossible situation? And the question is for each of us, how do we react when the impossible situation comes our way? How do we act? And, and so that's what I just want to dig into a little bit. So the first person I want to look at is Naaman. So Naaman, first of all, the thing to know about him was he had... He was this mighty warrior. He was strong. He was powerful. He was mighty. He was winning all these victories. He was, he, he was this kind of, I can do it, kind of like, oh, let's go, kind of a guy. And he was winning victories all over the place. And yet he had this impossible situation going inside, which he had no power to overcome. He had no power, and he had no answer, and he had no solution. And I know lots of people in that, that place. You might personally be in that place today. Like you might have this kind of, I'm quite a strong person, I'm quite able, but actually there's this impossible situation going on in me or in my friends or in here. And, that, and the, the question is, how does he react to it? I want to say that Naaman was a man who was outside of Israel. He was not an Israelite. So he was a foreigner to the Israelites. And God healed him. I want to start by saying this, that the power of God 
isn't just for in this room. We're not called just to to encounter God in this room, to enjoy him in this place, to, to be healed and restored ourselves. But we're called to be flowing rivers. We're not called to be, to be little like lakes filled with salt, just sat here on our own. We're, we're called to be this thing where God pours out his power and his spirit upon us to outflow to the world around us. We're called to be people who expect God to move through us. We're, we're called to be living water, up, topped up and overflowing in faith. So that when we go into our neighborhoods, when we go into our families and friends and, and the power of God is expected to come. And God's healing power is not just for Christians. It's not just for the Israelites. Actually, the, the power of God can come on your neighbor who has no idea about Jesus. The power of God can come in your colleague who has no idea about Jesus. Why? It says in Hebrews 2.4, God testifies by signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. God often breaks into people's lives by showing his miraculous power. I'm reading this book called Miraculous Movements. It's about how the, the gospel is spreading throughout the uh, Muslim world. And often what happens is there's these towns and villages which uh, Christians are going to, and they've never heard about Jesus. They've never heard about the gospel yet. And so they're, they're visiting and they start telling stories. But what breaks through most often is they pray for someone and eyesight comes back. Or they pray for someone. There's a story about this, this woman's the chief and his wife is dead. And they're mourning and they go in and they think, Do you know, the faith rises in them to pray for this woman. And she raises back to life. And what happens? It wasn't just her who comes to, to know Jesus. It wasn't just the chief but the chief gives permission to Christians to, to start a church there, to, to allow people to preach the gospel, to hear the word of God. And it's hard to refute when there's someone stood there who should not have been stood there. It's hard to go against that when someone you've known who's been blind their whole life has their eyes wide open and looking at you and telling you what you're wearing. The power of God flows, signs and wonders. God often uses it. Now, it's not, uh, it's not a kind of you get healed. There's the story of the 10 lepers where only one person who gets healed comes back to Jesus. So it's not as simple as one person gets healed and everyone comes to know Jesus. But it is something where we think, actually, the power of God is in this place. Now imagine someone was healed in your workplace. Imagine someone was healed or, or kind of came to their being, was transformed by the power of God in your workplace or your neighborhood or your it's hard to argue against, isn't it? And I want us to know, first of all, that actually the power of God isn't just for in here, but it's a flowing river. It's a fire that we're catching. So when I'm on fire, I should be standing next to someone and the fire should be coming off, not just in a safe environment, but actually overflowing and, and firing out. So Naaman was healed despite not being an Israelite. And what happens? In the verses after, 15 to 17, he comes back to Elisha and he says, I will bow down to no other God other than your God the rest of my life. That's what happens when the power of God breaks out. Something else to mention is that Naaman wanted to be healed. 
He wanted to be healed. It shows there that, that he had this problem, but he wanted it fixed. How do I know that? Because he was willing to go to the king of a defeated nation that he had defeated. He was willing to humble himself and go to that king because he heard there might be a possibility that he could get well in that place. And I just want to say this. If you're sick, if you're unwell, do you want to get well? Jesus often asks people that. Do you want to get well? And it seems like a ridiculous question. Of course I want to get well. But it brings out this question. Do you want to get well? He wanted to get well. And I just want to lay a pastoral thing there. I've got this friend who, who often prays for the sick and has kind of been shouting about praying for the sick for a long time. And, you know, he stirs my faith every time I'm with him. I was talking to him on, on this week, actually, and he was like, oh, I've just been in India and we prayed and this woman's eyesight came back. So praise, praise God. But, but he said he had, this, he had a knee problem and he had, um, he had an operation on it and he had a, um, a strap around it and he went to a Christian festival. And person after person after person after person didn't come and say, hey, how are you? What's your name? Can I get to know you? Person after person just said, oh, can I come and pray for you? And actually, he felt violated. He felt violated by that fact and actually taught him the fact that actually, you know, that there is a bit of a pastoral moment here. I need to see beyond people's disability. I need to see beyond. I need to build relationship as well. So I just want to put that on there. Like, not everyone wants you to pray all the time for them. Not everyone wants you, every time you see them, for that to be the one thing that you talk about. Everyone wants to build relationship and love. And within that love and relationship, actually, God often does other, other restoration. Do you know, it's the community of the church as we come together. And some people are just healed because they're part of the community. Because they're loved well enough in a community. People are restored inside. Loneliness is broken down. Anxiety is taken away. Just because you say, hey, hi, how are you? What's your name? All of that stuff. But I would encourage you to continue to ask people, do you want me to pray for you? Do you want me to pray for you? I'd love to pray for you and have faith in that moment to pray for people. The third thing about Naaman is that he was humble. Was he humble or was he humbled? <laughs> he doesn't start out as a very humble person, but he was humbled. He was humble enough to, to go to a foreign king. He was humble enough in the end to listen to advice. And actually, this is part of praying for the sick and being prayed for as well. We come in a place of humility under the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt us at the right time. He will heal at the right time. He will restore at the right time. He has the picture, the big picture. He knows the big picture. And while I don't understand it all the time, I trust that God does. I trust that he has the big picture. He has the best plan. But it takes humility. And it takes humility to step into the fact, actually, no, I do want to get well. It takes humility to step into the fact, to step out and to be prayed for. Okay, the second person I want to talk about, and this is the main person, okay? This is the main person in the story, and it's not Elisha, it's the little girl. This little girl, who's been taken into slavery, she sees the suffering of her master, and she hates him. 
She really hates him. She's really bitter because she's been taken away from her family. Her family might have been killed in the battle, but she's been taken away. She has all this anger and bitterness and rage and unforgiveness in her heart. That's not what happens, is it? That's not what happens at all. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. This girl, despite being taken into slavery, despite being made to work for this person who's persecuted her nation, despite that, she flows with compassion. She flows with love and grace and mercy. She has forgiven this man so much that when she looks to him, she doesn't see the defeater. She sees the one who needs the help of the living God. And she has compassion. And so often you see this with Jesus. So often you see, I like the story where John the Baptist is beheaded. So this is uh, Jesus' cousin, one of his close friends, is beheaded, killed, and Jesus hears about it. And then all the disciples come back, and they've been out on a ministry tour, and they're exhausted and tired, and they get on a boat, and it says that they're going to go to this quiet place. And they get in because they need a rest. And then they get off at the shore in this quiet, desolate place, and there's thousands of people there. And what does it say Jesus had? He had compassion. He had compassion and he got out the boat and he taught them all day and he prayed for the sick and the sick were healed. It says that all among them were healed. It takes this compassion to flow out of us, this mercy, this forgiveness. We have to be a people stepping into forgiving other people, to be in this place of grace, to be in this place of looking upon people and saying, actually, no, the compassion of the Lord needs to flow to you. We do have an answer. We have the answer. Jesus is the answer. And that has to flow through us. She forgives him. She loves him. And then she does a, a really simple thing. She might not have the whole faith to pray for him herself. But she does a really simple thing. Oh, I know a man who could pray for you. And, and you could get healed. I take this as like a, a moment where... You could do a really, really small thing for someone and it would invite them into the living God's presence. I was in a church like a month ago and a guy shared a testimony. Oh, I thank you, Jesus, for the person who offered me a, a cup of tea four years ago, uh, 40 years ago. And now that led me to question about the living God because I asked, why did you give me a cup of tea? And they just explained simply, well, I just had compassion. I loved you. I, I saw that you were struggling and I came back. It's that simple sometimes. Sometimes this, uh, the power of God breaks through when we do the small, simple things. And that's what this little girl does. And if it wasn't for this little girl flowing in compassion and forgiveness and love and grace, flowing in that, if it wasn't for her doing the small things, then Naaman would have never known that he could have been healed and restored and well. The third person is the king. Now the king responded in fear instead of faith. The problem came to his door and instead of thinking, oh, the living God is amongst us, he thought, no, and he ripped his clothes and he starts mourning and he's like, no, it can't happen. Why? Why does he want to start war against me? Why does he want to do that? Why does he hate me so much? He responds in fear rather than faith. Okay, I just want to ask a question. 
I told you I'm going to ask you to put your hands up as much as possible today. <sighs> Has anyone in here ever been healed? I want a hand up. Okay, if you're in the room, just have a look round. Have a look round. Have a look round. Does anyone want to come and share? <laughs> Cynthia shakes her head. <laughs> Does anyone? Anyone want to come up and share? Linda will share. It's good. I've got two, is that right? Come on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, one was uh, maybe only a year ago where my leg grew. So I'd had um, problems, well, walking really. It was sort of like quite painful in um, the buttock area. <laughs> and um, I think Terry Virgo was here or... Uh. I can't remember who it was. Anyway, and it was praying for healing at the end. And I thought, oh, you know, to go, a bit of backache. Huh? And actually, one leg was shorter than the other. So he prayed and it grew. Come on. And the other time is when um, God has healed um, when I was pregnant with one of my daughters and he healed her in the womb. Come on. Come on. Praise Jesus. Come on. Anyone else? Anyone else want to be brave? No? Come on then, Freeba. Uh, yes. I had an op operation on my back, on my spine, in 2011. And after the operation, the pain was, when I um, recovered from the anesthetic, the pain was a lot. And even the morphines couldn't do much. After the morphine wore off the effect, I just put my hands myself uh, on my back mm. and um, the pain went Come without on. the morphine and everything. Come on. Yes, and uh, I just prayed to God and the heat from my hands, <laughs> I think, um, well, Amen. it healed me. Amen. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. I'd love to, I think at the, after this we'll hear some more because I think it stirs faith in the room. And that's the point. The point is that sometimes it's not the leader who has the faith in the room. Sometimes it's the, the, the people in the congregation who have the faith in the room. Sometimes in a work situation it's not the leader who will have the faith in a room, but you'll carry it into a place. Sometimes in, in the church setting you'll have the faith in the room. And it's your faith bringing it into the room. And I think as you stuck your hand in the air, faith came into the room. God has done it before. He can do it again. So don't always just look to the leader, but actually all of us have this ability to bring faith into the room. I don't, I, we were having this conversation on, um, on Tuesday. We had quite a long conversation um, because I pray for people quite a lot. Just when I'm out and about, I pray for the sick, I, I, I do that. Uh, I'm, but I don't see much fruitfulness. I don't see God heal people much, to my knowledge. And I was moaning about this. Let's just put that out there. It was a moan. And we were like, well, how do we do this differently? How do we change? How do we do that? And then someone came in just as we were finishing the meeting. And he came in and we were talking about something else because I normally talk to him about something else. And he says, oh, that's not really the reason I came. I came because you prayed for my back 
two weeks ago. And I was in the office and I, I couldn't get out of my chair. I couldn't move. I was in bed and in pain. And the next morning after you prayed, I could feel this heat in my back. And my back hasn't been painful since. And I've got no other answer other than God has healed me. And in that moment, I was like, oh, God, you're so faithful. You are so faithful. So I think we've had three testimonies about back pain there. I think we should be praying for back pain later today after this. But sometimes just faith needs to come into a room. And I'm, I'm feeling faith coming into a room as I speak. I also want to say this, though, that, that, that when... When you're praying for the sick, there is a time for mourning. So the king goes into mourning, and I think it's a bit premature. But there is a time for mourning. Because you won't see the breakthrough that you want to see every time. And actually, if you don't process that, if you don't mourn, if you don't, if you don't pray and do it with God, if you don't mourn in that way, then you'll stop praying for healing. Because you'll get annoyed with God. You'll get frustrated, you'll get this, oh, this, isn't, this is nonsense. And you'll start to say, actually, that the Bible isn't true in what it says in some ways in your mind. You might not say that out loud, but your actions would say that. And so actually, there is a process of mourning and weeping. And I think you see it in Jesus. Jesus wept over Jerusalem as he was coming in because of the, the pain and the sin in that city. Jesus wept over Lazarus, despite the fact that he knew he was going to raise Lazarus a, a few minutes later. There is a space for mourning, but it has to be done in a place of faith. It has to be done in the place where you're in the presence of God and you're mourning with him. I remember learning this when there was a guy from Holland and he sees miracles all over the place. And he was, <laughs> he was doing a really weird thing, actually. He was doing a talk while on his piano. And he was playing the kind of the high happy notes of kind of like telling stories about how people are healed and then he'd go down his piano down to where it was a bit lower and a bit kind of more more sorrowful and he was like and he was saying you know there's these stories and this person hasn't been healed and that's not happened and there's this mystery to it and he's down the bottom and he's and you can see and he, and he was like if you don't mourn these things you'll get trapped and you'll stop moving in the supernatural so there is a time for mourning there is a time for weeping. There's a time for processing it with Jesus, and that's the healthy way to keep living a supernatural life. Okay, the fourth person that I want to talk about. <clears throat> yeah, it's Elisha. You guessed it. Guessed it right. Elisha's the fourth person, and you might note there's other people in the, in the kind of story that I've not picked out, but Elisha's the fourth person. Now, he brings faith into a room. <laughs> Elisha brings faith into a place. And so what was the difference between him and the king? I'd like to say that, it's, that he knew how to see what the father was doing and to partner with the father in what he was doing. He knew how to, to look to heaven and say, okay, this is what God is doing. I believe you're going to do this. He had learned that process year after year after year of following Jesus, or following God, and saying, okay, God, what are you doing in this situation? And then bringing that faith into a place. This John 5, 19 says this, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. 
And I think we need to be, as we're praying for people, we need to be asking God, okay, what are you doing in this moment, God? What are you doing in this moment? And then we're co-partnering with God and saying, okay, this is what God is doing. And then we pray into that. So as we pray for people, we need to be thinking, okay, God, what are you doing in this moment? How do I partner with you to pray in faith for that thing to come to pass? And I think that's what Elisha did. Elisha knew this is how God acts. This is what God has spoken to me. And this is how I'm going to partner with him in prayer. 2 Corinthians 6 it talks about right at the beginning, it says that this is the day of salvation. This is the day of favor. And we should partner. We should partner with God in this day of salvation. So God is proclaiming it, that salvation is in this place. That his power to work is in this place. And we need to be the co-laborers or co-workers with him hearing his voice and being directed by him. And that happens in the moment and it happens in the prayer space. So like the, the talk I did at the beginning actually about prayer and how to get into the presence of God and hear the Father's voice. And that's, that's where all of this flows from with Elisha. And Elisha was willing to do some weird things. He was. So did you talk about it last week, Becca? I've not listened to your preach yet, I'm sorry. But last week we saw this kind of weird thing where Elisha lies on top of a dead boy and he puts his nose to his nose and he puts his arms to his arms and feet. It just seems a bit weird, doesn't it? But I think Elisha had heard the direction of the Lord, he'd seen what the Father was doing and he was obedient to say, okay, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, if you want me to look a bit odd, if you want me to be a bit weird, I'm going to step into that as well. And Jesus did some weird things. <laughs> Let's be honest. He spat on the ground, created some mud, and then rubbed it in your eyes. Would you be pleased with that? Who's, who's got sight, sight problems? Come, come, come down. I've got some mud. I brought it with me. There's times where Jesus sticks his fingers in people's ears. Has anyone got hearing problems? <laughs> But are we willing to partner with the Father and maybe look a little bit silly sometimes is what I'm saying. I have this, great, this guy uh, in the Hatfield Church and he's got quite severe special needs. And you'll just think he, he, you know, he, he comes at church and he loves it. But this week he told me a story about how he was in a daycare center and he, someone had told, me they were, they were, told him they were sick in their stomach. And so he said, oh, can I pray for you? And he just prayed for them. And people all around were laughing, thinking, oh, this is stupid. What are you doing? You're stupid, like all that kind of thing. But, but, but he was like, oh, no, I feel this is what God has got me doing in this place. When I heard that story, my faith raised <laughs> quite a lot. All of us can be doing this. All of us can be seeing the kingdom of God come in this place. So Naaman did what the Lord had commanded him and he went and he dipped himself seven times in the river and on the seventh time 
He came up and he was clean. He was healed. He was restored. The impossible situation has gone. I want us to, to move into a time of praying for the sick. We're going to have a mixed time of worship and praying. So if I can invite the band to come back. But just first of all, I want to pray. I want to pray for each one of us. So I think if you're willing, just put your hands out. Because scripture says that faith is a gift. Yeah, Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. You're so welcome in this place, Lord. Mm. There's a verse in Revelation which says, Jesus stands at the door of the heart and he knocks. And to anyone who opens the door... Jesus will come in and he'll feast with you. I just believe we're opening the hearts, opening our hearts, opening the door. We're saying you're welcome in this place, Holy Spirit. You're welcome in this place, King Jesus. You're welcome here, Lord. And Lord, we just ask you now, for the gift of faith, Lord Jesus. Let faith arise in this place, Lord. As we worship you, Lord Jesus, let faith arise in this place, Lord.